So you need to have revenue. You need to have enough money to start hiring people. And I think that's one of the problems that a lot of small businesses face is that that they don't actually have enough money to hire uh, people Mm. and they don't have enough work for them to do. So actually what Mm. we did, what we actually did was we worked together. So we have a joint venture with Core Concepts and we actually worked with some other companies before because we wanted to like hire one person but give them more work. Because then you can afford to pay more and have higher caliber candidates. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Paul Turn. In the day, I work a pretty normal job as a doctor in Singapore. But in my spare time, I interview successful people, mainly in Asia, with interesting career paths, hobbies or side projects. I trace their stories right back to their humble beginnings and I ask, what do these unconventional journeys teach us? And can we similarly be more imaginative in what we do? Welcome to the Alternative CV Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Alternative CV Podcast. And if you're new here, it is my job to bring you stories from people who have been successful whilst choosing unconventional paths. And today, we have one such person in the form of Dr. Deborah Wong. Dr. Deborah Wong is a mother, general practitioner, entrepreneur, and fitness guru. Shortly after graduating from medical school, she took over a Pilates studio, that's Breathe Pilates, turned it around and expanded it into a successful and highly profitable chain with four locations across Singapore. Breathe Pilates is unique in offering training programs for Pilates instructors in addition to the standard Pilates classes. Deborah currently maintains a professional interest in lifestyle medicine and she has personally experimented with multiple training programs, diets and supplements. In this episode, I talk to Deborah about how she turned Breathe Pilates around from a struggling studio when she first took it over into one that is so profitable. We discuss the basic skills involved in running a business and also about how she equipped herself with these skills having not come from a business background. We talk about some business strategy, what Deborah and her partner did to grow the business, how she dealt with challenges that came with COVID, and why she has now hired a data scientist. Finally, we talk about the benefits that being a business owner brings in terms of autonomy and flexibility. So lots of things to get into, and I really hope you enjoy this episode, especially if you're coming from a traditional professional background, like a doctor, lawyer, etc., but are looking into getting into business. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Deborah Wong of Breathe Pilates. All right, Dr. Deborah Wong, welcome to the Alternative CV Podcast. Maybe to begin, could you explain a little bit about what you what you do? I know currently you you just uh, congratulations you, you've just given birth, but uh, prior to this, what were you doing? So prior to this, I was well, I am I am still a doctor, but I'm not practicing right now at the moment because I just came back from Shanghai in March last year. So in between, kind of with all the COVID and everything, I just stopped. I I just kind of like just focused on on pregnancy and now um, on my baby Mark. I also run Brief Pilates, which is a Pilates and gyrotonic studio. And there are four studios throughout Singapore. Oh, fantastic. What is, what is gyrotonics? Gyrotonic is actually quite interesting. It's, I think very few people have heard of it. It's like a pulley system. It's a towel, it's a pulley system with weights. So then you're able to use the machine to do three-dimensional movements. So it's a bit okay. like tai, tai Chi with weights. Tai Chi with weights. I see. But so it's like kind of push the thing. Okay, so it's like a a weighted movement. 
from this three dimensional, but it's weighted basically. In the pulley system, so you, you, you imagine the Tai Chi movement, but instead of pushing air, you're pushing a, 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 a circle, a weighted circle, like a disc. Does that make sense? And that, that, that kind of, I can kind of imagine what, what that means. Uh, and well, like you're kind of a Oh, yes, yes, okay. That's a, that's a good analogy. Uh, and you're kind of into rehabilitative Pilates as well. Okay, can you kind of explain what that is? Pilates, so when Pilates first started, it was created by Joseph Pilates. I'm not sure how, how familiar with the background, but it was created by Joseph Pilates and he was um, using it to treat prisoners of war in, oh, in his camp and then to help them rehabilitate. So he kind of like created this system with like attachments and weights and stuff like that to kind of like get their muscles back to where they were previously. And that was how Pilates was formed. And so Pilates backgrounds are really actually very rehabilitative. It focuses a lot on like small muscle groups, stabilizing muscle groups. And, and I think... I think all Pilates actually can be quite rehabilitative. It's just the focus. I think a lot of times now Pilates is like big group sessions. And so then it becomes more fitness-based. But if you go back to its original roots, Pilates in itself is actually quite rehabilitative. I see. So it's meant to be kind of personalized to the condition and what the individual needs. Yes. The general idea is that we all have like smaller muscles, right? Like there are three big groups, there are three groups of muscles, the smaller stabilizing muscles. And then you have like the mobilize, the big global mobilizing muscles and then like the larger stabilizing muscles. So what Pilates focus on is really the smaller local stabilizing muscles. So muscles with names that you've never heard of. I mean, you have because you're a doctor. Um, but if you hear of names like, <laughs> like the transversus abdominis or like, you know, the erector spinae or the small ones that people don't talk mm-hmm. about. Even like your, I guess your rotator cuff is quite common now because people get injuries but then a lot of things like focus on the rotator cuff muscles. They focus on your glute minimus and your glute yeah. medius instead of the maximus. So, uh, yeah. so if, if you are not a doctor, this is just stabilizing muscle needs. <laughs> okay, that's that's really interesting. But but that's uh, but that's vital because most people don't really pay attention to it or or, or exercise it per se. But I can't really imagine gymnast a, a gym kind of machine that targets specifically these kind of muscle groups. I think it's the intention, the intention behind the movement. So if you're very intent, I mean, you can be doing the same movement, but the focus is different and then you actually create different outcomes, which is like life, right? <laughs> explain, do explain. I guess you can do the same thing, right? You can do the same thing every day, but you can do, you, this, two people can be doing the very same thing, but if you have very different motivations, you have very different outcomes, right? Mm, yes. How does that apply to Pilates? So, for example, if you're doing a squat, so you take a squat, for example, right? So, if you're in the gym, you're just going to do a squat. You're just going to go down. You're going to come up. But then in Pilates, we yep. focus on a lot of like the alignment. We're just kind of like, okay, make sure that your knees are tracking over the second and third toe. So when you do that, you kind of start activating like the smaller muscles already, and then you start thinking about like hip flexion. So then you start drawing awareness to what your hip joint is doing, which then draws awareness to the, the stabilizers, as opposed to just going down and up, which then can actually come from your knees or from your back. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, so a lot of focus on fall. Uh, and, and the why. Uh, why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. I see. So that people kind of know that it's not that form is important. So like kind of the body. One of the benefits of Pilates, and I think the most important is also like body awareness. Mm-hmm. So when you have increased body awareness, everything is just easier. You don't get injured so much as well. Mm. It's not just the Pilates exercise itself. It's the awareness that you gain from it mm. that helps you prevent injuries and rehabilitate as well mm. and that's quite interesting yeah. as well because i i mean there, there is a there's a there's this term in medicine called like proprioception right which is like kind of knowing where your joint is 
And I suppose this suggests that you can you can kind of train your awareness, your proprioception, really. You can, you can. And as you're saying, that that helps with the 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 getting injured less frequently, and then also activating the muscle groups like consciously, kind of activating them. It's also very. It's it's. I mean, it's also then it also comes. It's very. It's actually really very useful for elderly people as well, because you know, like proprioception is very important. Like balance, right? I think balance is a more commonly understood word. Like balance and awareness is very important, because if not, you fall, and when you fall, mm-hmm. it. It, it has a lot of complications associated, especially if you're older. So it's it's good. And also there's also then the concept of like neuroplasticity, which actually means the, um, your brain is, is is generating new neurons, right? New pathways, right? So when you mm-hmm. draw awareness to different parts of your body, you're actually creating these new connections. Mm-hmm. So it's actually really useful for the elderly. Okay. Not something that I actively thought about before. But that, that's, that's a good Thank you for the for the introduction to Pilates. So you you currently run for uh, Pilates, which is which is your your company. Could you tell the story about how you get started? Because from what I understand, you kind of got started uh, pretty much straight out of medical school, and not many people think about starting a business uh, just straight out, fresh out of uh, medical school. I think a lot of people have asked me that before, and I think my answer to that is always: you either start a business when you're very young, when you have nothing to lose, or when you're mm. very old and you have a lot of uh, uh, spare time. And, and resources, right? Spare resources and experience. I I think people in their mid careers uh, would normally not switch because there's a lot more to lose, and mm. they have a lot more commitment. Mm. So I guess mm. that that is, that is in response to if why people say like entrepreneurs are always very young, and that it's, it's courageous. I think it's actually more courageous if you if you do it mid career. Mm. So what what's the story behind breathe? How breathe Pilates got started? So what happened was, so I, I was a dancer. So I, I, I danced for a very long time, like 20 over years. Uh, so I do ballet. And a lot of people get into Pilates from dance. It's a rehabilitative matter. It's quite popular among dancers. And I was doing, I was doing, I was doing ballet and I got into Pilates. And actually how it happened was, this studio was not founded by me. I actually bought it over. It was initially founded by my orthopedic consultant's wife. So okay. he, my, my auto consultant found out, he one day after, he was like, oh, what are you doing after call? And so I said, oh, I'm going for Pilates. So he was like, oh, my wife just opened a new studio. Why don't you go try out her studio instead? So I said, okay. So I went to try, uh, so I went to try his studio and I, and it was quite nice. Um, I like what you were doing. So I, I started going there and then I was going for two or three years. And then this orthopedic consultant was going to go private. And then his wife was like, oh, we, I don't want to, I mean, it's hard to run two businesses. She was like, oh, do you want to buy over? And so mm. I was like, oh, and, and at that point I was looking at it. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do at that time. So I think I just finished uh, my HO year and I, I yeah, wasn't sure. House, house officer. Yeah, Sorry, house just officer, for context, yeah. house officer. Yeah, sure. The first year finished. post. Go ahead. Sorry, yeah, 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 the, no, I uh, finished my first, my first year and I didn't know because it was residency, right? I didn't know what I wanted to apply for anyway. I uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to specialize in. I guess I kind of wanted a bit of a break as well to just kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Because you know how you, you, you go to school and then you kind of like keep going to school and you keep going to school and then you, you don't yeah, yeah. really think about what you want to do. So I took, decided to like, oh, this was a good time to take a break. So I just decided to see. Financially, it made sense in terms of like the numbers because I did ask for the numbers, how the studio was doing and how much they wanted for the studio. So it made sense financially. And so I thought, okay, let's try. And that's mm. kind of how we started. At that point, I think mm. it was, at that point when I bought over, it was two studios. One studio was not doing very well. 
and then we kind of just grew it from there. We'll get we'll get into that later half the story uh, sometime later. But just uh, off the top of my head, first of all, how how do you how do you even, uh, raise the money, for example, to 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 get to buy the these years? I know it kind of makes financial sense on paper, but for all of us, I know what it's like to be to be just out of uh, university and then not really have much to your name. So how did that work out? Oh, I mean, I was quite lucky. My parents paid for it, to be honest. <laughs> they came out with the capital to to help to help with it. So, so you, so you had parental uh, kind of support there. Was it difficult convincing your parents that you know you wanted to take a year out of medical school and that the the year year long plan would be to run a Pilates to you? They weren't very happy with it, but actually, you know, it was interesting because in my third year, I was telling my parents, I was like, "Oh, I'm not sure if I want to do medicine anymore," because I, I, I mean, I just wasn't sure. Which I guess we can talk about later in terms of like the system and why I do nutritional environmental mm. medicine now. But mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure I want uh, was what I wanted to continue doing, and I was like, oh, can I quit and stuff? Like that. And they were like, oh, just finish it. And you can take a break. So I guess it was kind of like a, a bit of a, a bargain with them. They were like, just finish it, and I finished it, and I finished my HO, and I got my my um, my food license. And yeah. Yes, and then they were like, fine. So <laughs> yeah. Mm. But there are quite a lot of crossovers, right, between Pilates and, and medicine. So do you feel like your medical degree helped you in terms of running a Pilates studio? Oh, for sure. Actually, Pilates is really hard. You know, I think, I think I honestly think of all the fitness instructors, Pilates exams. So we do have to take an exam. It's actually really hard. It took me many years, actually, to actually get the full certification for Pilates. There's like an anatomy component and then there's like a kinesiology component as well. Mm-hmm. I think I probably know more about muscles and and an anatomy that most doctors do now, not because of medicine, because of Pilates. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, all right. So, so say so you you're at the point where you where you've decided to to buy over the business and uh, you've managed to convince your parents that okay, this is a good idea. So, how do you go about uh, deciding at, at the point in time? You know, you're. I, I don't think that necessarily medical school really pr- gives us any any form of business education. So, how do you get started? And, and that's quite a broad question, but I think that the intention behind it is that when you're faced with like so many different things that you, you know challenges and, and problems that you need to solve, how do you like prioritize and then and what do you do next? Having said, I think it's like because I took over the business, it's a little bit easier because there's cash flow coming in already, as opposed okay. to starting something from scratch. Because I, I think if you ask me now, I think starting something from scratch can be really challenging because you have to worry about like the revenue. The, the cash flow, right? The cash flow is a big component. Mm-hmm. And Pilates is lucky because it is a cash upfront business. Not, yes. You don't have to, yes, people pay first and then you, so you have that, that cash flow that comes in already. So that's one aspect that you can stop worrying about. And then, and I think that is the biggest aspect for most businesses. And then from there, we kind of work out what else you need in terms of like, you still, so first we just kind of let it run and then we see where the expenses were going and then we're just thinking, so I have a business partner and his degree is in marketing. I see. So, so that was a, but he's never done it. He, he just graduated as well. And actually the reason he's doing it was because he was trying to find a job and he didn't know what to do. So then this opportunity came up and he was like, oh, okay, let's just try this then. Same thing, right? Like as a young person, you don't actually have anything to lose because you have no job. So you have no income to lose. <laughs> yes. So, so then he had a degree in marketing. So we tried it out and then, and of course, no practical knowledge, right? All theory, right? All in the head as well. So we tried stuff like uh, PR agencies, the typical ones, like, PR agencies, SEO, SEM. So that's kind of how we started in marketing. And I think 
the part that we had a lot of challenge. So that was the part that we were most comfortable with. So we started with that. And of course, the business was very messy in terms of like operations. There's a lot of it, right? Accounting, operations, finance, all that stuff that we have no experience in. So we just kind of like went at it one at a time and cleaning it up. Even to date, we're still cleaning it up. It's really not not perfect yet, but we're trying mm. to work things. I'm interested to know what examples you have of things where, you know, you talk about this theory versus reality kind of mismatch. So, so what were some examples of things which you thought, ah, yeah, okay, this one, I got it sorted, I can do it. But then really it turned out to be harder than you expected. It was really very funny. Actually, there was one episode where, so, you know, I think, I, I, I don't know, but I guess growing up, I was thought that, you know, if you want to pay something, pay something upfront, like don't try to pay stuff in installments. Okay, that does yep. not work in a business, okay? That does not work in a business. You want to drag your cash flow. If people want to pay in installments, you pay in installments, especially if it's interest-free. So, so we were trying to pay for uh, SEO and then they're like, oh, for one year, if you pay everything up front, you'll give you a bit of a discount. We're like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Obviously, not a very bright idea because you don't have enough money in the bank later on. You get a cash flow problem. So that was one of the things that we learned very early on that we should not be doing. I see. Yeah. So essentially, cash flow is... Uh... Cash flow really is the lifeblood of the company then and you just need to make sure that there's enough to going in then coming out. It is right, it's especially important during COVID, right? It like especially during these last few months. I think a lot of companies die not because of anything else, but because cash flow is 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 poor. Let's let's take a detour then to, to talk about kind of COVID. How how I mean a lot of challenges obviously with firstly closing when when the government ordered all basically everything to be shut and then subsequently reduce I would imagine reduce class size because there are now all these social distancing measures are all in the maximum five people etc etc so what were kind of strategy like how do you guys meet these challenges I think that's about we're very very lucky that that because we're focusing on rehabilitative and clinical Pilates we've always been very targeted towards the individualized personalized and small group classes so our classes were really very small to begin with. There were only a maximum of like six people in some studios. Some studios were five and some studios were four. So it really didn't mm-hmm. affect the business model per se too much. I mean, of course it did because some of the six group classes had to cut down to like five or four. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, I think it's not as badly affected as, you know, like restaurants and like your big gyms and like your yoga studios where they have like 20 people and now they need to have five. So mm-hmm. in terms of that, we were quite lucky. Having said that, of course, it was like four months of, of closure, right? During that four months of closure, you don't know. So the biggest problem is always going to be rent. That yep. that was always going to be the biggest cost, and the government never announced all the release until much later on. Yes. So initially, when you first start, you're really like, oh, where am I going to get the rent money from? Right? Because that was very worried about. So the first thing we did was actually go and get a loan to float the cash. Mm. The very first thing we did the moment they they announced the shutdown, we started approaching banks to uh to get a loan. And luckily, we had that rental relief. So we have four studios. Not all studios got all the same amount of rental relief, but there was uh, mm-hmm. some amount across board, so that definitely helped. We tried to go online. Of course, going online is not the same as physical business. It was like 10% of our normal revenue. But I guess any mm-hmm. at that point, just anything is better than nothing. 10% is still 10%. 10%. Uh, so you lose 90% instead of like 100%, right? <laughs> yeah. So we, we did that. And then when things reopened, we just kind of restarted again. And actually, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but because everyone is stuck in Singapore and we actually have more customers. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> because people are not traveling so much anymore. So then they're like, oh, what shall we do? Let's go work out. The ups and downs. It looks pretty okay for now. We'll have to see how it mm. goes. Mm. Were, were there times when you... Were there like sleepless nights? Uh, times when you really 
were worried about the the, the Pilates classes, the Pilates business? Oh, for sure. Like, I think when they first announced, it was like very stressful because we were like, okay, what are we going to do? What we need? But I guess, you know, it's very nice to know that everyone's in the same boat, even though the boat is sinking. Because <laughs> it's like, you're not the only one. Because, <laughs> okay, so I was actually very worried. So I spoke to my husband and my husband was like, well, you know, don't worry because he said, everyone's in the same boat as you. And, and I guess... The government has to make keep the boat afloat. <laughs> I guess because he was like he was like you know if everyone goes down then then you know I don't know I mean even if you drown I guess it's funny but if everyone's drowning with you don't feel so bad. <laughs> I suppose I suppose there's something to be said about how it's due to an external event rather than if you know for example if your business model really sucked or, or something. Because I mean a lot of things are not in your control right so at this point all you can do is just try to let go with the flow and I think a lot of people are like oh how can we fix this how can we try from the challenges but I think there was so much uncertainty going on that all you can do is just kind of like deal with it one day at a time I want to kind of touch on on learning and, and teaching yourself so uh, a lot of things which you talked about just now like uh, getting a bank loan first of all and uh, trying to draw down all these things and all the financial aspects where do you guys when you pick all these up from all, all this knowledge about uh, running a business and not just because it's very very different from from what you were officially formally trained in say in university or, or in school before that i think part of it is just like part of it is like learn running the business as you kind of go I, I have to say that is actually my weakest point like the financial aspect mm. of it is my weakest point i don't know how to do like all those stuff that the like projections etc so i've learned to like outsource things if possible if you can i mean i try to outsource things when you can afford it like try to find what is your weakest area and then try to outsource it straight away so, so when you hire, you prioritize your weakest areas to hire, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, sorry, go do go on. My mom is my parents are both uh, accountants, so actually it's been quite helpful. So I asked them. My mom actually helped me with the the accounts and the big. Actually, she she's she's been helping me for quite a while before we actually had enough resources to hire a full time accountant. Mm-hmm. So then my mom has been helping with that. My brother is a banker. So sometimes I speak to him and I ask him his opinion on, you know, when people come with us opportunities, he helps me analyze the, the data. I have some really great friends who are bankers as well. And I just go to them with all the spreadsheets and I'm like, oh, can you help me? And they, they will look at it and they will explain what they're looking at and why they're looking at it and what kind of um, data they're trying to get from it and whether it's a viable business. And so I learned from there, like how to read, these um, Excel sheets and, and projections and and roughly kind of have an understanding of finances. Even though I'm still really bad, it's still my weakest area. I just hired a data uh, scientist actually. Really? Okay. So what, and then not, what, not, what, not full-time, what, what, but like, like I, I just got a data scientist to just crunch all our data to kind of like get the ideas, the projections um, of like where we're going and like what, what, how, what the classes we should run, how many more instructors we need to hire, What's the utilization of space and all that kind of stuff? I see. So how do you how do you collect data on this? Like, uh, or rather, what what are you tasking him to do? Uh, so we have we we have a sister software that we use, right? It's is we 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 pay per month. We're actually building our own now to replace this, but we oh, okay. so it, we use that, and then we have all this data. It's called MindBody, so we have all this data that we pull from, and then we just give it to him to analyze. So it's like the people who sign up for classes, who are the people who sign up for classes. So we look at trends and. I obviously That's cannot really do myself. <laughs> and you, and you, and 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 you are now building your own software to replace it. Because it's really expensive. It's a thousand US dollars a month. You know. <laughs> That's incredible! Wow. Okay. So I, I think at, at this point, it's it's gone to the point where we feel that it's actually more cost effective for us to have our own software now. 
Okay. Mm. And then that's another learning journey in and of itself. Like you would have to yeah, basically find a developer and, and, and things like that. But I suppose all these things just come one step at a time as you are in the space and then you see, okay, these are new problems that need to be addressed. And then so you kind of find your way. You just do it one at a time. So I was, I was, I mean, I, I was listening to this other podcast before. I can't remember the title, but anyway, so one of the things they were like, you know, saying that you should look at the stuff and identify top three things that you need to do for your business to progress. There are always going to be like 50 or like a hundred things that you need to do, but just find the top three and then work on those top three and then reassess again and then find your next top three and work on those top three and just keep going down the line until you, you never run out of things anyway, but you just keep working on three things, only three, nothing more than that. And generally, you found that that works for you? It really helps to kind of streamline because everyone has finite resources, right? So it really helps to streamline and, and gives us a, all a goal. Mm. Instead of trying to do like 20 things at the same time and doing all of them badly. Uh, so if we come back to, to the point where you, uh, you're just watching over the Pilates studio, right? Um, then you said one of them was doing well, one of them not so well. Um, how do you go about fixing that and then subsequently growing it to four studios? So the marketing really helped because at that point in time, a lot of Pilates studios weren't doing marketing. I think when I was, I was like two, I can't remember. It was like, I think maybe, oh, it was like seven years ago, already, 2013. Mm. So at that point, you know, Google ads and SEO weren't as, mm. as intense as it, as it is now. And people weren't mm. really doing it. So we did it. And then that just created a lot of extra revenue that came in. And uh, mm. from there, that helped. And, and we also moved and, and then we kind of like consolidated the spaces, kind of like looked at utilizing the space better. So the second studio that wasn't doing so well, we closed it and moved it to a different location um, because it wasn't doing so well largely because of location as well and size. So we found a different place. Actually, that studio is doing the best now. Oh. Yeah. So, so location is hugely important. Very, very, very important. I think if anything, location is more important than one of the most, actually the most important when we're looking for a new studio space. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, okay. Because I suppose just my premeditated assumptions so that yeah, instructor is most important. Like instructor, you know, people follow your, guru, your yoga guru kind of thing. So they'll follow your instructor rather than the space. No, you'd be surprised. We have instructors leave before and only 10% follow them. Okay. So like 90% is there because of location. But of course, you know, being Singapore being so small, right? Location is a little tricky because obviously everybody can, your competitors can open around you. Lah. Then, yeah. then your instructors matter. I see. Okay. And on that, on that point, you kind of differentiate yourself because you, you train your own instructors, right? I think that that's quite unique. So with a licensed training center for Marigu, and Mary is mm-hmm. one of the, it's kind of like one of the globally recognized Pilates certified bodies. So, so we're a licensed training center in Singapore. So we train, we train people. I think that was one of the reasons we managed to actually grow as well. So because re- if you're just a Pilates studio that doesn't have training, it's very difficult to differentiate yourself and very difficult to hire. Oh yeah. So that was one of the things, sorry to just kind of backtrack, but that was one of the things. Um, I think one of the reasons we actually managed to grow was initially we had a difficulty hiring instructors. Because all the good instructors are already in their own studios, have their own clientele. Why would they work with you, right? So when we could start training our own instructors, that was when we could hire people. And that was our bottleneck for a while. And once we could hire people, we then could grow as well. I see. So that comes back to this idea about three big things, right? So if you look at it, you're like, okay, where, what's our biggest problem? It's with uh, hiring the right instructors. And so maybe an interesting way of solving that would be to become a training center ourselves. And then also like then afterwards we found out like, okay, so we have all these new people and new people, maybe, you know, like there's a gap in experience. So then we started doing our own in-house training system as well. 
I see. It's great. I suppose that's a journey of business development, like one thing leading to another. Took like um, two, two over years, two, three years to build our own in-house training system. It's not like overnight. And then after that one year, you decided to go back to medicine. Can, can you talk a little bit about that uh, decision? Mm, I guess there's also kind of like pressure from my, I think after, take, after taking a break for a while, I kind of didn't feel so disillusioned with medicine anymore because you know, you're mm-hmm. away from it, right? So <laughs> you forget why you didn't enjoy it. And, and, and I guess there's a bit of pressure from my parents. They're like, oh, don't waste your degree because they still, you know, even though they, they said they were okay with it, they were not really okay with it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. And the business was kind of okay. And I thought like, um, okay, I just want, so I went back. But then I went back in a, to like private setting, in a private setting. I guess mm-hmm. if we want to discuss, we can maybe, I can say, <laughs> I can say like the reasons like I, I wasn't, I, I kind of like, didn't enjoy public healthcare. Okay, um, yeah, go, go for it. I mean, if, only yeah. if you're comfortable talking about it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Way, You know, all these things can be, if you decide we, to, to cut it out later, we can file um, edit it no, out no, at it, any point in time. I think I just, what I didn't like, what I didn't enjoy about public healthcare was firstly the calls. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I really didn't enjoy the calls. I felt it was very tiring and it didn't, and I was not pleasant. I wasn't a pleasant person. It made me very unpleasant as a person. That was one. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think what I didn't enjoy was the forced residency idea that I had to decide very early on what I wanted to do and mm. I think I wasn't ready to decide that when mm. I first finished school I don't know how, mm. how how do you do you take a long time before you chose your residency or how, how do you well that being said I studied overseas so uh, so in terms of compared to my peer group I'm considerably older than them uh, well I mean by about two three years that's not not much but still I think that that, that does help with uh, being a bit more mature and knowing what you want to pursue that's one. Subsequently, I didn't. I kind of knew that I wanted to do internal medicine, but it still took like, a, like another like nine months or so before I finally started the program. The program by which time I managed to do a few more rotations, and that also helped with uh, with knowing more clearly what I wanted to do. And definitely, I do agree that I have spoken to quite a number of my peers who have gone from directly as a house officer. That's that's literally the first year out of medical school. They've gone straight into one of these residency programs that essentially is your life, like determines your career trajectory for the rest of your life. And they do that, like all of them unanimously say that they wish they had taken more time, more time to think about what they want to do, more time to gain experience, etc. Yeah. So yeah, agree with you on that idea. Go that, was that. No, so that was that. And I think there was a lot. So my batch was the second batch. The second batch okay. to have residency, so quite early on. So I, I and so you know you have nobody to speak to about this kind of things, nobody to to actually understand what you want to do, how it's going to affect your life. So I guess at that point, I, and I wasn't very keen about doing residency, and they kept pushing it, like you know, do residency. If you don't do residency, and I'm no things, and you could never get any of the good MO postings if you weren't a resident. So I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of annoying. So, so that was what I, 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 I didn't enjoy about it. And then once you leave the system, it's very difficult to go back into the system again, right? You can't, mm. you can't like, yeah. like quit and then go back in again. So I, I joined a private group and then just kind of did my own, my own, like my own training was very self-directed. So I did my GDFM and then I kind of found things I wanted to learn. So a bit more independent learning I guess as opposed to structured learning which I guess has pros and cons and I and I do wish that I had a bit more support and could learn from like 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 the bigger institutions but I felt like it was kind of like a either this or that mm. and that was kind of what I didn't really enjoy either I see I enjoyed the I freedom see. to kind of like pursue many different things but else I guess in pu- public health care is a bit more boxed in 
it's 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 very tricky. It, I mean, boxed in a structure, like two sides of the same coin, right? And then also, freedom is good for people like you who who have a bit more a comfort. You're a bit more comfortable operating within like uh, some like you know a space with no walls, and then and teaching yourself. So I guess it it suited you. It suited you very well. I'm sure. So went back GP. So I did, I did that. And then I guess I was a little entrepreneur. Someone came up to me with the suggestion. They were like, oh, we give so for some shares in the new medical group. So I was like, oh, okay. So I just thought I could take the experience that I did from doing the Pilates into the medical group as well, while also being a doctor. So it's kind of like doing both. I do enjoy, I do enjoy the business part of, of, uh, of Pilates, right? I really enjoyed that aspect. Uh, actually, I realized I enjoyed the business part more than teaching Pilates. So I enjoyed that. So then I came up to me with that proposition of having some shares in a small medical group that just started. And so I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, you know, at that point, I think I was quite interested. So kind of like going up on the detour again with Pilates, I actually got more experience to wellness. And I think mm-hmm. medicine in Singapore sometimes don't really don't really answer the, the wellness part very well, right? Like if you see a doctor and you ask them about the other parts of like, like non, non-surgical and non-pharmaceutical, like they, they don't really mm. have an answer for you. So Yes. But interestingly, there's so there's a huge interest in that. I can, I mean, there's so many kind of WhatsApp conversations or, or like the things that I'm sure you're, now, my mom and probably there are plenty of, of, of other people like send to each other about wellness. That's true. And then when they come and talk to the doctor and the doctor doesn't know anything, right? And whatever the doctor does, they like Google, right? <laughs> like, that's how, like nutrition advice, right? And like herbs and stuff like that. Anyway, so I was more exposed to wellness in Pilates. So I got really interested in that. And so I, I felt that my approach towards medicine was now more like, oh, I'm very I'm very interested in the holistic part of it. And like, so I, I did... And the, the person that came to me was actually quite interested in the idea as well of like a kind of like GP, but with a more like lifestyle aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so I I joined the group with a bit of small shares. I did that. So that's how I kind of got back into medicine again. I see. Okay. Then I and left the group because later on, I think um, our our plans diverged. Like we, he, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, I think what he realized was that this, this whole wellness thing is, does not really make money. Compared to mm. like your your typical traditional GP clinics, right? Where you actually mm. just just because of the way the thing is set up, which is also why I had a problem, a bit of a problem, um, trying to get back into medicine again when I came back from Shanghai, because I didn't want to mm. go into the whole sit there and see patients for ten minutes and churn out MCs and uh, and and give medication and not have a relationship with the patient. I really enjoy having a relationship with the patient. In mm. Shanghai, when I was working, I was working in Shanghai. It was a bit more like I guess the model is a bit more Western. So they actually see you for half an hour, and they mm. pay a lot more as well. And you actually had time to sit down with them and talk to them about their condition, educate them, and build that relationship. And you're not so mm. tired as well. Mm. How did you end up in Shanghai? So I work for Raffles in Shanghai. So one of my okay. friends, uh, one of my friends work for Raffles and he was recruiting for people who wanted to work mm-hmm. um, internationally. And I was quite interested in it because I thought like, oh, hey, you know, if I have international experience, maybe eventually I can also move my business internationally, right? Mm. But then I decided to to go and try. But also, so it's, it's quite different. I mean, 30-minute consultations is a very different business model from from the, what, literally five-minute consultations, which is which is usually the case in, in a GP setting in Singapore. It is. It's, it's, it's because the, the clientele in Shanghai are mainly expats, right? And that's what they're used to. I see. Yeah. Okay. So they pay more 
for a longer period of time. Yes. Okay. And you, well, and what kind of insights did you did you gain from your time there? Because part of the reason for going overseas was also thinking about internationalization of your Pilates studio. I, I think in terms of a business, what the, one of the things I actually learned is that if you want to grow a business somewhere, you have to actually physically be there if you mm-hmm. want to internationalize it. But that's actually why we then decided that the model for our internationalization is going to be franchise instead of a joint venture because of that learning. Because I, I think it's you cannot be in so many places at the same time realistically because of like family commitments or you know other just lifestyle choice, right? So yeah. instead, and, and instead of a joint venture, so with Breathe now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to franchise it actually, and that's how mm-hmm. and that's that's how we think growth is going to happen better. Because I think that the person who spearheads the overseas location needs to be local and present. That's a, and that's a great point. Let's see. Could you talk a little bit about being in full time employment and running a business at the same time? What did you find that challenging, or was that okay for you? Um. It's, it's a, I mean, it, yes, obviously it's challenging because you only have 24 hours in a day, right? Having said that, I think I only, I only went back to full-time employment when the business was more stable. So in that sense, you already had a system going in place. You already had things that were running. And, and, any, and anybody who runs a business will tell you that there's a difference between running, a, being in the business, like, you know, running the business, like being in the business and working on the business. That's a great book on that, right? The e yeah. The e-myth. Anyway, go on, go on. So go you don't want to... No, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've actually never read the book, so I should go read it. <laughs> I'll, 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 link, I'll link it to you later. I'll send you a link to it. Anyway, do, do go on, do go on. So working in the business is that like you're doing everything, right? And you're working on the businesses and you're actually thinking strategically. And if you ever do intend to exit, which you always, I guess, catch always be an option, right? You cannot be mm. the business because nobody mm. can buy you. Right, mm-hmm. and just for longevity, I think working on the business. So at that point, basically, we were always when we started the business, we always knew we wanted to work on the business and not in the business. So I guess a part of it was we we're always trying to. One of the three things, the prioritization, is always trying to like move away from us being the ones doing it. Mm-hmm. So when it kind of got a bit more stable, we had systems in place, things were running well, then it's easy to be in full-time employment. And I guess if you want to be a serial entrepreneur, that's kind of what you have to do as well, right? You have to kind of set up systems in place where where things are, are working without you and you're just driving a strategic direction. But as you said, the, the, the benefit is that, is that you were a cash flow upfront business. <clears throat> Sorry, which meant that you could hire people to supplement, to like do the task which uh, you were otherwise doing. So you need to have revenue, you need to have enough money to start hiring people. And I think that's one of the problems that a lot of small businesses face is that, that they don't actually have enough money to hire uh, people mm. and they don't have enough work for them to do. So actually what mm. we did, what we actually did was we worked together. We, so we have a joint venture with Core Concepts and we actually worked with some other companies before because we wanted to like hire one person but give them more work. Does that make sense? Yes, so joint time. So you work for <laughs> yes. people. Yes, because then you can afford to pay more and have higher caliber candidates. Sorry, my bad. I just needed to charge my battery. <laughs> so you, so you, have, you have better quality candidates, right? Because maybe you only have enough work for like a $2,000, $2,000 worth of work, right? But mm. if you hire someone for $2,000, you kind of don't really get very good quality candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very, very interesting concept which I, I, I honestly have never thought of before so so kind of putting pulling together resources to get somebody who's of a higher caliber and then 
almost like a timeshare hire. So last, last question from this kind of bit. Um, in the midst of doing research for this interview, I listened to, to one of your interviews on Money FM, I think, and then you were talking about loving the autonomy and the flexibility that being a business owner brings. Can you talk more about that, please? I think I didn't really appreciate it as much as I do now, like now that I have um, a child. Because actually, mm-hmm. it's, I, I think it's true. A lot of people will tell you that when you have children, if you can afford it, do not work. I, I think most people cannot afford it. <laughs> and also, if you want to do something else, having your own business allows you to actually do both. Because mm. people are asking asking me now, I think thinking they're like, oh, when are you going back to work? And I'm like, I mean, I am working now to a certain extent. Like, I still have meetings. I still, I still talk to my staff. I have meetings, but I'm also still at home. And I can mm. continue on this as long as I want to, right? I don't have to go into the office. Mm. I can tell meetings that gives you that, that flexibility. And I can arrange things around my timing and that's quite helpful. So I think I, I, I read the autonomy and flexibility were really nice when I was um, not when I didn't have children. It was kind of more like like just whimsical wants and needs, right? If I want to go on a holiday, if I want to like lie in a little bit more, you know, I wanted to go eat something or you know, enjoy off peak period. But having a child it really makes it more valuable because you really can then spend the time with them. Mm. I suppose it comes to the deeper philosophical question of like, what do you want out of life? And and if ultimately the the, the most the most ultimate scarce resource is time, right? And so if if you have something that gives you back more time, that's that's something to be valued as well. Allows you to kind of like focus on what you focus on what you want to do, right? Like using your time to do what you want to do. But of course, it's this all built up because you have the systems in place already. So it's that initial upfront investment to, to get all these systems and then after you can step back and have a bit more time to yourself. You need to put in the systems. I, I, I mean, when I think about, like, I always have a lot of different business ideas, but then when you think about it, actually, you know, to, to start from scratch again, to be honest, is actually quite... All these, all these business ideas, um, did you only really come become attuned to them after you started a business? Or were you always a person who like, had one million kind of business ideas? I think I became more attuned after I started a business because then you start looking at things from a different perspective. Okay. What you, like what and kind of perspective? What I mean, I guess when you start looking at things, so everything you start looking at like the cost price, you start looking at like the opportunity. So like, okay, I have a very, okay. So for example, uh, this is just a, the most recent idea that I've had and I probably wouldn't do it um, because I worked out the cost price. But so babies, right? Baby clothing, right? Bamboo. So I was looking at like bamboo, bamboo clothing for children. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the price because it's quite comfortable, and I was looking at the price. And I have I actually manufacture some other stuff in China as well for the Pilates studio as well. So I spoke to the manufacturer, and I was like, "How much is the cost price to make it?" So that's the mm. first thing I wanted. Right? People want to want to look for bamboo onesies. I'm gonna go like, "Oh, okay, let's go try to find it on like like the internet." So I immediately start, I looked, and I was like, "The price is mm-hmm. very expensive." So I started thinking like, "What is the cost price to make this, and how much can I sell it for?" Because there's obviously a market and a gap if if there is so I started asking yeah. the manufacturer so then I straight away went to ask my manufacturer like how much is it to make the, the onesie and how much does it cost and I was looking at the prices in the market and then you straight away kind of like do it in your head and you're like okay not worth it you you can't make the business but that's kind of how I look at every single product now if I want to get something mm. at the price I find it's something that I'm not satisfied with I'm like can I do it better and then you just kind of like have the network now and then you start reaching out to these people and you'll be like okay and you'll be like oh okay this is why it's like that and this is mm-hmm. why. you have a much better idea of like value as well so true. Uh- this 
podcast is produced in conjunction with Catalyst, which is a clinician-focused startup incubator and co-working space in Singapore. To find out more about Catalyst, visit their website at thecatalyst.com.sg. Special thanks to Dr. Reina Damawan and the team at Catalyst for their help in making this episode of the Alternative CV Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, do consider subscribing if you haven't done so already or sharing this episode with your friends. I'd love for more people to benefit from this. If you've got something to say, you can always reach out to me at poll, that's P-A-U-L, at alternativecv.fm. Leave a review, get in touch, pick up the conversation, anything you want to talk about. You can also find show notes about everything that we've talked about and any references we made at alternativecv.fm. See you next week. This podcast is produced in conjunction with Catalyst. Catalyst is a clinician-focused startup incubator and co-working space in Singapore. To find out more about what Catalyst does, visit thecatalyst.com.sg.